The way we change our heart will affect the way we accept Jesus Christ or reject the Lord. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we're taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It is a good time to study as we look at Proverbs 16. So take your Bible out. We have the Bible guide. It is going to be a good day. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? I'm going to be taking a look at ancient birds in Israel and methods of hunting those birds. Ryan? Well, we read often in the Bible about the casting of lots, but by what methods was this done? All right, the casting of lots, that, that does, I'm really looking forward to these reports coming up in about 20 minutes time. That's excellent. Janice? Our fun Friday wrap-up question I can ask anywhere from Psalm 143 through to Proverbs 17. Get ready. All right, open up the Bible. Let's listen to what God is saying. Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 9. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17 are the chapters that we read today in going through the Bible. But we're going to stop today and focus on Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. How do we think? How do we think? You know, there's a lot said now about how we think. Culture has involved itself in the way we work together. The recent advent of the Internet has been a real game changer in the way we build business and work together in communities hasn't it? The world is a very interesting place, and God knows this world. The Lord did not encourage some cultures to dominate others, nor did he desire one civilization to enslave another. Remember what Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on it. You see, the Lord never gave man dominion over man. He didn't, but he gave him dominion over the animals and the creatures. Proverbs 16 remains consistent 
to that command. Now keep that in mind. Now, I, I need to tell you that if you have your Bible guide, turn to it today as we study this particular passage. And if you don't, you can call us or you can write to us and we'll make sure you get one. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it, in which it'll take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. And it'll take you directly to a page where you can download it as we printed it. Uh, so it's very interesting. And what we're talking about today is in it. So how do we think? Let's pray about it. Father, teach us how we think. Help us to think like you instead of like us. Help us, Lord, to follow you instead of following us. Help us, Lord, to learn that you are the true leader instead of us worshiping other leaders. Show us your way. Teach us your paths. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, as we look at this, it becomes important to realize God is trying to speak to us. So we're going to try to listen. Let's listen. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man. That's the soul. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Very interesting. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. In other words, he understands that he's got to understand our motivation. The way we change our heart is to let God revive our spirit. The way we change our heart is to let God revive our spirit. Salvation is free, but its path is challenging. How many people know somebody who came to know the Lord and uh, later on they talk to them and they're not living for the Lord? It's one thing to come to know God. It's another thing to live for God. When you live for God, you're kind of against sin. It doesn't mean you have rallies and, you know, pickets and all that. It just means that you, you've decided to follow the Holy Spirit and lead your life in the direction away from sin. And some people that has more consequences. It means you have to change your friendships a bit. You have to, you know, find a decent Bible-believing church to go to on the online or, you know, in person or something. And you've got to shift how you live. But it's important to know there's a difference between knowing God and living for God. I'm going to leave that there. We'll come back to it later. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Do your work for the Lord and your thoughts will be established. The Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Now, we don't know what's gonna, what the wicked are going to do. But God is the creator of all things. But some things follow evil. God is the creator of of all things, but some things follow evil. Christians must follow the leading of the one and only Holy Spirit. Now, remember what I said. I said, it's one thing to know God. It's another thing to live for God because Satan knows God, but he doesn't live after God. We can know God and not really commit our lives. 
But if we know God and commit our lives, then suddenly we are different people. We follow the Holy Spirit, which lives in us. Now that gets really interesting. And I'm sure there'd be a lot of letters flying in my way and people protesting and everything else, but that's the truth. That's just the way it is. That's what the Bible says. All right, Proverbs chapter 16, verses five through nine. Here's what it says. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Now, though they join forces, none will go unpunished. None. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. That's amazing. And by the fear of the Lord or the respect of God, one departs from evil. Hmm. Now, man's ways please the Lord. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's interesting. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. What? Look at verse eight. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, that takes me to number three. We turn from evil when we surrender to Jesus Christ. This is God's wisdom to everyone today. The best way I can explain this is when I say to somebody, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? What I mean to explain to them is, have you come to the Lord? Have you prayed to God, accepted him as Lord of your life, and you're attempting to follow him right now? That's what I say. So let me ask you a question. Do you know the Lord? Do you? It's important that we hear this. I think we have to pray. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to follow you. Help us to know you right now. There are people who struggle with what I'm saying. The Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would enter them right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And that you would help them, show them your way, teach them your paths. I don't pretend to know their situations or their realities, I don't know. But what I do know is you're stronger than everything. And so, Father, the Holy Spirit will lead and we will follow. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your wonderful Holy Spirit, lead us, Lord. Lead us. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Today, my segment is all about the casting of lots, and this is a practice we read a lot about in the Bible. 
As a matter of fact, we read about it in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 18, which says that casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. And Proverbs 16, 33, which is a part of our assigned reading today, makes the important statement that the lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is from the Lord. Now, we know that casting the lot was practiced not only by foreign cultures, but also by the Hebrews. But what we don't know is by what means the Hebrews cast them. So we're going to see how some of the other nations around the world did this to maybe get an idea of how it was done. The casting of lots, which was used as a means to settle disputed questions in ancient times, was a practice employed by most ancient nations, including even the God-fearing Hebrews. But unlike the other nations, to the Hebrews, casting lots wasn't a superstitious act, but rather was a means to determine the very will of God. Indeed, this principle is stated clearly in Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is from the Lord. While the practice of casting lots is referred to numerous times in the Bible, the means and methods by which the Hebrews employed them is obscure. But some scholars do believe that the use of the Urim and Thummim was actually a form of casting lots. While the physical features of the Urim and Thummim are unknown, some scholars think that they were small round pebbles which were placed in the ephod of the high priest. One signified yes and the other no. When the priest reached blindly into the ephod and took out one stone, the question was answered, either affirmatively or negatively, by the stone which he found in his hand. There were, however, many instances recorded in the Bible where lots were cast without the use of the Urim and Thummim. But by just what mode they were cast is now unknown to us. Interestingly though, among the Latins, apparently little counters of wood or some other light material were put into a jar with so narrow a neck that only one could come out at a time. After the jar had been filled with water and the contents shaken, the lots were determined by the order in which the bits of wood, representing the several parties, came out with the water. In other cases, they were put into a wide open jar and the counters were drawn out by the hand. Sometimes again, they were cast in the manner of dice. Regarding the mode by which property is divided by lot in India, Joseph Roberts, writing in the 1800s, noted that they first draw the cardinal points on the ground, then they write the names of the parties on separate leaves and mix them all together. A little child is then called and told to take one leaf and place it on any point of the compass he pleases. This being done, the leaf is opened, and to the person whose name is found therein will be given the field or garden which is in that direction. Roberts also noted that the Hindus settle every disputed question by lot. They decide what physician they shall have and what remedies, and even leave the selection of a wife to the same blind chance. While we don't know if any of these methods employed by these other nations were similar to those of the Hebrews, we do know that to God's chosen people it wasn't a decision left to blind chance, but rather to the very will of God Almighty. So while we really don't know the methods by which the Hebrews cast lots, what's important here is to notice the distinction between what the Hebrews believed about the casting of lots versus what some of the other surrounding nations believed about them. To many nations, the casting of lots was just based on blind luck, but to the Hebrews, it was a way to know God's will on the matter. We see this reflected in Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is from the Lord. Now, whether this was a practice approved by God or not, the Hebrews were right in their belief that God's will 
always prevails. And that's important to remember that. Uh, and, you know, in the midst of lotteries and everything else happening, we understand that the casting of lots meant that man's hand was off it. And they would ask for God's decision when they did that. That's and, and, and by the way, I want to say I'm not for gambling or anything. No, no, I'm no not, we're not. That's not the point yeah. of this. I was just simply trying to, to show what the ancient cultures uh, did. Yeah, right. And I think that's I think that's important. Just a quick note here. New York City is a great place. Eight million people in the city limits, about 18 million people surrounding it. And uh, it is a uh, an amazing place. And it, it is a place where... Kevin Bateman is, he's associate minister at a church. Pastor Dom is a senior pastor of the Next City Church. They're a great church in Queens, New York. And they, not sponsor, but they help uh, an organization that is started in North Carolina. It is doing amazing. And uh, they've come on board as a church and they help it. And uh, it's called Love Life, lovelife.org. And this is a great ministry for, I found out about it last year. It's a great ministry and we're promoting it this week simply because we want to make people aware of Love Life and uh, what it's doing. It's in eight states and it's get, getting further now. It's going in many other states as well. So you need to check that out, lovelife.org, lovelife.org. Very good. And we're dedicating this week to the time that we spend on this. So that's good. Okay, Corey. All right. Well, you have probably noticed if you've been going through the scriptures with us, there have been several mentions uh, already in the book of Psalms that we just came through and a few here in the book of Proverbs in relation to birds and also the practice of hunting birds. You know, famously, David, as he was writing the Psalms, would uh, liken his enemies to fowlers or bird hunters that were laying traps and snares and nets for him. So this image was a really convenient one for, for David to, to show how man tries to trap or trick or ensnare other man, men. Now, in the Proverbs, this is also used, and we're going to see it used in some of the prophets as well once we get through these books of writing. So let's take a look at ancient birds uh, in Israel and also the practice of hunting them. Birds were both a source of food and sacrifice in ancient Israel. Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 13 preserve for us the list of fowl that were ritually impure and therefore not to be eaten or offered to God as sacrifice by the Israelites. As a general rule, birds of prey like eagles and falcons and carrion birds like vultures and ravens were ritually unclean. On the other hand, birds like pigeon, dove, and quail were acceptable as inexpensive sacrificial animals and fine to eat. Based on archaeological work in comparison with other contemporary cultures, we can be quite confident that ancient Israelites, where available, also ate partridge, geese, duck, chicken, and ostrich, as well as various bird eggs. Hunting wild birds is spoken of quite often in the Bible, likely due to the fact that it was a very common practice and that it provided useful imagery to the authors and poets of the Bible. Amos 3 verse 5 references the practice of trapping birds with a net filled with bait and laid on the ground, and Hosea 7 talks specifically about the use of nets in bird hunting. These descriptions are given visuals thanks to Egyptian tomb reliefs and paintings showing various forms and stages in fowling. Nets and traps, the use of blinds to shield hunters, and the aftermath of birds in cages and baskets are all depicted. 
Famously, a golden fan found in the tomb of Pharaoh Tutankhamun is decorated with an ostrich hunting scene. The pharaoh on his chariot is shown hunting ostrich with his bow and arrows with the help of a dog. Similar methods of hunting are spoken of throughout ancient Mesopotamia, though not depicted quite as vividly as in the remains from ancient Egypt. People also kept and domesticated several kinds of birds. In Israel, this not only made birds more accessible for meat and eggs, but ensured that birds used in sacrifice to God, like doves, would be unblemished, undamaged by the act of capture. The many columbaria found throughout Israel testifies to the dove's domestication. It's also believed that by at least the latter half of the time of the kings of Israel and Judah, domesticated chickens were kept in the land. The history of chicken domestication is a complicated one, but their presence in Israel is known thanks to chicken bones found at Israelite sites. There's also a signet seal that was found at Tel Nazba that reads, belonging to Jazaniah, servant of the king, above an image of a rooster in a fighting stance. It's possible that this Jazaniah may be the officer mentioned in 2 Kings 25-23. Interestingly, the Bible also mentions the importing and keeping of exotic animals by rich King Solomon, which may have included exotic birds. It's also said that fattened birds were served at Solomon's dining table, meaning specially fed, domesticated birds. So there we go. It's really interesting, again, like I said, to take a look at the cultural practice that is being referred to in the scripture. We get the basic idea. We know, you know, that that trapping and, and hunting wild animals is a thing that happens. And, and it's very clear imagery, especially in the Psalms where David uses it. But it's always a good idea to look into the practice as a whole, the, the ancient practice from the culture that it's coming from. Because as we move through the scripture, we're going to be seeing uh, these these symbols come up over and over again. So whenever a symbol was important to a culture, it's a good idea to take a look at the actual practice itself. It's always really interesting. The ancient birds are, are fascinating, okay? It's very, very interesting because here we have uh, people capturing them and doing these different things, but we've lost a lot of species through the years um, of birds. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very interesting. In fact, we've lost a lot of animals. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, dinosaurs were part of the creation, and they were God made them along with everything. And we've lost them. Uh, after we still the have the, some of their cool skeletons, though. Well, ask, ask we, my four-year-old to tell you all about it. Grandpa, <laughs> I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> He's really into it. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. But Ryan, we've we've lost some uh, of these animals, and uh, but but we found they found not we they found yeah a bone of a uh, was it a. Tyrannosaurus, or what was it? I know you're talking about the soft tissue that yeah, they the found. Soft yeah, tissue. they found it. Yeah, it's very, very fresh. Very fresh. So the question yeah. is, like, and you've got things like the Loch Ness monster and all that, which I don't want to get into. But <laughs> you've got yeah, things around, that, and, yeah. and it's interesting to hear what people talk about and say. But dinosaurs are not as distant in the past as most people believe. Well, no. I mean, if you if you take the Bible at, at face value and you, you know, God created them along with, you know, Adam and Eve and all of us. Uh, yeah, no, they're not that far removed from us. And that's what the scientific evidence is showing as well, because like I said, they're finding DNA, they're finding uh, soft tissue and all of that. And that, that can't possibly be as old as some people claim. It can't be as aged as they say. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. 
and we'll talk about that in the future because we, when we get into some of the other things in the New Testament, we'll talk about that. But anyway, another story for another day. Question. What are you doing on the weekend? <laughs> oh, I do a chapter by chapter recap with my husband, Matlock. We, we look at all of the uh, signed reading uh, for Bible discovery for that week, and we get you caught back up on it. So if you'd like to check that out, just check out my YouTube channel, which is my name, Corey Bebechko. It is a great program. Thanks. We air it on the live stream, which is on our website, Bible Discovery TV, Family and Friends, and I love it. So anyway, you're on that every day, so that's good. All right, now we get to the... Question, 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 the fun question. Yes. I think many people you are find it us. fun at home. Yes. All right. So I have looked at the chapters from Psalm 143 all the way through to Proverbs chapter 17, and I have rounded it down to Proverbs 16. So Ryan and Corey do not have the luxury of being able to look at this right now. And this can be a very tricky question because I've used references from other places in the Proverbs <laughs> involved oh, in this answer. So you mixed it up. All right. So according to Proverbs chapter 16, what are pleasant words like? All right. Mm -hmm. According to Proverbs 16, what are pleasant words like? A cup of water, a honeycomb, or a cool breeze? All right. So I've got people at home. I can almost yeah. hear those Bible pages rustling or the, your it's phone apps. Um, but some hardcore people who play this game will not even crack their Bible open. They're going to nice. test themselves, right? So according to Proverbs chapter 16, what are pleasant words like? A cup of water, a honeycomb, a cool breeze. What say you, Ryan and Corey? Well, we've been talking about this back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, we think that we have an answer. Yes. We think it's the right one. All right. We're going to go Good. with we're going to go with the honeycomb. The honeycomb? <gasps> well, I'm going to read the scripture because if I had put the last part with it, it would have made it much, much easier. However, Ryan and Corey have chosen the right answer because Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24 says this, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Good job if you said honeycomb. Today, we pray for Love Life. Uh, this week has been dedicated to prayer for that great ministry that helps women who are struggling with uh, pregnancy and struggling with uh, choosing to have the baby. And, and we pray in Jesus' name, Father, that you would take Love Life and expand it and grow it. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help the women and help the children. Thank you, Father. And in the wonderful name of Yeshua HaMashiach, this is what we ask. Amen.